Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Happy Eve of April 15th. You know, out of any holiday. Well, there is no, it's not a holiday, but shouldn't it be? Right? I mean, they give you the, they give you New Year's Day off because, you know, you're going to be hungover. They give you half a dozen religious holidays because, you know, that's just the way it is. Don't you think that's the one day more than any that you deserve a day off? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be a holiday? Or maybe if not that day, then maybe make it the number of days into the year that you work for free for the government, which for some people would put you well into June. And maybe the day after that, you can rest. Just a thought. Jam Pack Show, I have uh, far too many topics to get through everything, but before I get to anything... Let me tell you about a topic that I've been talking about for the last three weeks now, and I'm having a lot of trouble with it. So I talked, I don't know if it was two or three weeks ago about We Are Vapors, and a lot of people pissed off about it, people emailing me and stuff after I talked about it. So I had this whole plan on how to, how to attack the issue, which was to get people who were disappointed with how the project went, who were also donors to the project got a lot of those then the plan was you know have some people call link and ask for their money back and see what happens and go from there which i've gone into detail the, the various ways that could go so here's the problem guys had a lot of people say yeah i'm pissed off had a lot of people say yeah i, I also donated but when i contact those people and talk to them sometimes on the phone and this i'm not saying there's anything wrong with these people it's just it, it's just not going to work Nobody's willing to make a phone call. None of the people who have gotten back to me who said, I'm pissed off, I donated, none of them will pick up the phone and call Link. They won't. They won't do it. And that's their right. That doesn't mean they're bad people. That just means I can't move forward. I very much want to move forward with this topic, but I can't. Listen, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if this is a legal crime. It probably wasn't. But I do think it was a moral a moral crime and a significant one. However, the way I look at it and the way I'd like to operate is that to have a crime, I have to have a victim. And I have to have a victim ask for their money back. I would do it myself, but I did not give any money. So this project, which I was hoping to do by tonight, is on the shelf until I get, I just need one. That's all I need. So this is not going anywhere until I can get one. I found plenty of people who are, like I said, found plenty of people. I need somebody who's willing to pick up the phone. Until then, it's on the shelf. So I got a lot to get to tonight. What I'd like to start with is I think the most interesting, the most interesting topic in the universe, for now, at least until we figure out what's going on, or time travel, time travel, teleportation, quantum mechanics. Now, don't rush to hit the fast forward button. I'm going to, I'm at least going to try to make this succinct and interesting uh, because time travel is not just the realm of science fiction. This is something that has been demonstrated reliably and repeatedly. repeatedly by scientists in a laboratory. Not just one new study, it's been done again and again and again. 
And until a better explanation comes out, time travel is a real thing. Let me tell you about it. So before we go into quantum mechanics, let's talk about real things in real life that people can picture and imagine and could even do if they wanted to. Let's say, for example, you had baseballs. You had a bunch of baseballs and you put wet paint on them, right? And you loaded them up into one of those machines like that you see at a batting cage. But instead of having somebody try to hit them, you're just going to fire them at a big concrete wall. But that wall has a slit cut into the middle. Now you're going to, you're just going to load this thing up and let her rip. It's going to fire one ball after another. Boom, 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 boom. And not every ball, you're going to aim it at the slit. Now, not every ball is going to go through the slit. Some of them will just hit the wall, bounce and fall. Um, it's a pretty good machine. So most of them are going to go through. Most of them are even going to go through, just clear through the slit. Some of them will kind of just nick off the one of the sidewalls as it's going through. So it'll scatter a bit. But what you're going to have on the other side, like I said, these baseballs have been painted. You're going to see on the wall behind the concrete wall that they eventually hit, you're going to see a pattern on the wall of where the baseballs hit. And that pattern is basically going to be, it's going to look like the size of the, it's going to look like the slit. It's going to be a little bit fatter in the middle. It's going to be a little skinnier at the top and the bottom, but you're basically going to see a line that's slightly more um, rotund in the middle, right? Another example would be if you instead took a table and cut a, a slit in the table and poured sand through it. At, on the floor underneath your table, you're going to see a pile of sand. That's a useful, uh, oh, and, and a third example perhaps, because I know so how many gun lovers li listen to the show. Now instead of uh, all that stuff, you've got a machine gun and you're pointing at a, a you know something that a bullet can just pass through. Not all of the bullets will pass through, but most will, and the pattern that you see on the wall behind, the, the damage caused by the bullets is going to be the same as the baseball pattern, right? Now, let's say instead of just one slit, now there are two. It's going to be just about the same thing, no matter which of those things you do, whether it be the baseball, the machine gun, or the, or the sand. You're going to aim right in between them and... You know, you let the machine gun rip. Now, a lot of them, they're going to hit the area in between, and they're not going to make it through. But some of them will make it through, and they'll go into the left, and some of them will go to the right because it's not an exactly accurate machine gun, and it's rattling around and all this. But instead of having one pattern behind the wall, you're going to have two, but they're going to look the same. It's almost going to look like the number 11. It's going to be a little bit fatter in the, in the middle, a little smaller, a little narrower at the top and bottom, but you're going to have these two. Now, this is what you would expect from something that is a particle, a thing like a baseball or a grain of sand or a baseball or a bullet. I forget which one I've repeated. Sorry. Now, let's say instead of that, you were dealing with not a particle like a baseball or a bullet, but with something that creates a waveform like light or sound or water. So now what you're doing is you've got that, now you've got that big concrete wall instead of on a shooting range, you've got it in something where you can push a body of water towards it. Now, most of that water is going to hit the wall and not get through, but through the slits, water will get through and that will create, well, 
it'll create on the other side of the wall, it's not going to create that 11 pattern. It's going to create a wave-like pattern. And that's not because it's water. Let's let's think instead of a light bulb. If you had a light bulb, and th this you can actually do it at home, not with a light bulb that you m might find at the drugstore, but maybe one that uh, could be uh, so that it only produces one frequency of light. So it's just blue, just one specific kind of blue. One wavelength, right? One frequency. So instead of the concrete wall, now you've got um, a piece of heavy construction paper or something like that. And you do the same thing. You cut two slits through. Now, if you only cut one slit through, like in the other example, you're going to see just that one band there, that one thing. But if you cut two slits, like we've been doing, you're not going to see something that resembles the number 11. You're going to see a pattern on the wall. Because what happens is when that light goes through, light is a waveform. And what makes it through those slits is going to interact. What's going through one slit is going to interact with what's going through the other slit. So the peak, when you have a peak of one wave and a trough of another, they cancel each other out. But when you have a peak hit a peak, they are going to be additive. So the pattern that you see on the wall, instead of something that looks like the number 11, is right, right in the middle. You're going to see the biggest, fattest line. And then right next to it, nothing. And then right next to that, a slightly less uh, fat line, and then nothing, and then another line, and then nothing, and then yet another line. You'll see a pattern. So instead of an 11, you're going to see like seven or eight ones, each, you know, the one in the middle being the uh, widest, and then breaking down as you go towards the edges. This would happen with sound as well. If you were to produce, a, say, some a 20 hertz tone or whatever, whatever hertz tone you want, you're going to find that if you measure the decibels, you know, if you put microphones all against the back wall, you're going to find the same exact kind of pattern. Very strong in the middle, then nothing, then very strong, then nothing, then somewhat weaker, then nothing. It's going to create a pattern. This will never happen with a particle, like a baseball, because it's just one thing, and it's not going to interact with the next baseball that goes through. But light, sound, water, these are wave-like properties. So you'll create you will create a pattern. So those are the two things. So why did we start with all that? Well, once upon a time, uh, scientists suspected that electrons were particles, but they didn't really know if they were particles or waves. It sure seemed like they should be particles, but they didn't really know for sure. So they did what scientists do and they tested it. They did the same thing as our first example. They took a machine that can shoot out electrons and they shot them through a single slit. And lo and behold, you see that single line pattern. Okay, so what happened when they put two lines up there, two slits? Well, the result was they were, they were expecting to get the number 11 formation, but instead they got the multi-band wave-like formation. So they said, huh, that doesn't really make sense. We really expected it to be a particle or a particle type thing. So what they did was they said, listen, we're shooting out the stream of electrons here. We don't know if those electrons are interacting with themselves along the way. So what we're going to do is we're going to slow it down. Instead of shooting a stream of electrons out, we'll just shoot one at a time. So we'll shoot one at a time, wait for it hit to hit the back wall. That'll collect, you know, the, the, it'll collect the data. And then we'll shoot the next one. So it'll take a lot longer but then at least we'll eliminate the variable of these electrons interacting with each other as we're sending a million of them out at once. We'll send them 
one at a time. So what happened when they did that? They got the wave-like formation. That didn't make sense. But I mean, it's, you know, it's not earth-shattering, but they really were expecting these electrons to be particles. So they said, huh, well, we're shooting them one at a time, and they're doing this. There must be something causing these electrons to be wave-like, you know, act in, act in a wave-like fashion. So they said, well, instead of just collecting the data once these electrons actually hit the back wall, let's see what they're doing when they're going through these slits. We can do that. We can put a little sensor right next to the slits and watch them. So they did. Picture a left and a right slit. They took the sensor and they put it by the left slit and they would measure how often they're going through the left, how often they're going through the right, and then they'll look, they'll they'll look at the data of where they you know where they uh, where they form. What they were expecting was to find the wave-like pattern, and they just wanted to see well what's actually happening here when they're passing through the slit. Well, it turns out that when they put that sensor, it it detected that fifty percent of the time the electrons were going through the left, and fifty percent of the time meaning they would, so 50% of the time the, the sensor would say, oh, there, one just went through, and 50% of the time it wouldn't because it wasn't looking at the right sensor. So that all seems, that, that, that seems exactly what they would have expected, but then why would there be a wave-like pattern? Well, all of a sudden there wasn't. As soon as they put that sensor in to monitor the electrons as they went through the slits, there was no more wave-like pattern. It was a number 11 pattern, just like a baseball. So how could that possibly be? All you're doing is watching the electrons as they go through the slit. Why would that radically change the pattern that's collected on the back of the wall? When you're not watching them go through the slit, you get a wave-like pattern. When you are watching them, there's a number 11, an electron shouldn't care that you're looking at it. It should do the same thing. There must be some sort of interaction with this machine. Now, just to be sure, they left the machine there and they unplugged it, made sure not to tell the electrons that it was unplugged, and lo and behold, it went back to a wave-like pattern. So then, um, a long time went by before they were actually had the equipment that was capable of uh, doing a new experiment. And this is this one is fairly recent. Those first experiments, uh, I think they were doing those back since before there was color TV. These new experiments are within the past decade or so. So one clever scientist said, well, we were looking at the particles as they, uh, not the particles, the electrons, as they were passing through the slits. Because that was the best time for us to, you know, to do it in our equipment. So anyway, we got this new equipment now. And now, instead of having to do it there, let's look at the electrons right before they hit the wall. So um, what they did now was they did the same thing. They had a sensor on the, on the other side of the wall all the way, all the way at the end. So in other words, you have the gun that's shooting the electrons. You have the wall with the slits. And then you have some distance between the slits and the wall where the data is actually captured to show what kind of a pattern the electrons passing through the slits creates. 
they put that sensor to look at the electrons right, right, right towards the end. So the, the electron, from the time it passes through the slits to the time it's about to hit that back wall, that distance, the electron has traveled 99.99% of the distance until it hits the wall. So they're, they're not waiting till the last second, they're waiting till the last billionth of a second before they actually turn the machine on. Up until then, the machine's been off. They knew that if they wait right until the last possible moment, that whatever was happening before with the machines looking at the electrons going through the slit, and the machines were obviously having some sort of interaction by just looking at them, it was having some sort of interaction with the electrons that was drastically changing the pattern from what would be expected if you're not watching the electron, a wave-like pattern, and what would be expect and, and what was happening when you did watch them, the perfect number 11 formation. Now they said, if we put this sensor so close to that back wall, we know those electrons, they, they don't have enough time to jump around and, and, and form the wave-like pattern. There simply isn't enough time or space to do so. It's already traveled from the time it goes through the slits to the time it's going to hit the back wall. It only has a fraction of a distance to go. It can't possibly have enough time to go jump somewhere else. And wh why couldn't there be enough time? We know what the speed limit is. Einstein figured that out. 186,000 miles per second. It didn't, it, it was, that electron was about to hit the back wall. There was no interaction from the observing device up until the last billionth of a second. It just doesn't have enough time. So what they expected was, instead of having that nice um, wave-like pattern, it would be uh, it would be disrupted in some way. It would be a little bit fucked up, but you're still gonna, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't have enough time to radically alter itself into the number 11 pattern that you would have if you measured it right at the front. But what they saw was exactly that, the perfect wave-like pattern, just as if you were to measure those electrons right when they went through the slits. This is impossible. It is physically impossible. Yet, this is what they saw. The only possible explanation for this, to allow the electron to have enough time to alter its course from where it was going to hit, wherever it was, to become a part of that wave-like pattern, to actually make it, is time travel. An electron is not conscious. We'd like to think, or maybe some would prefer not to, I don't know, but the only way that the electron would be able to alter its course is if either somehow it knew that you were going to turn that machine on at the last billionth of a second, or if it were able to go back in time and alter its flight to make that wave-like pattern because it's so drastically different than the two number, you know, the, the number 11 formation to the way they're, they're drastically different. It doesn't have enough time. It's not physically possible. It would be breaking the speed limit. And breaking the speed limit means exactly that, going back in time. This is one of the most... Uh, not misunderstood, just completely 
ununderstood, not understood things that can happen and elaborate. And this is all that, you know, it's, it's real fancy equipment and stuff, but the, 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 the test is, is very controlled. They got real good equipment. It's been replicated at this point, hundreds, if not thousands of times. And there is no possible explanation other than time travel or I hate to say it, but some sort of supernatural intervention. Now, why would the, now, even putting it, if even saying if it was some sort of supernatural thing, something that resembled God, why would they care? Why would it care? There's some guys trying to see how an electron, you know, splatters on the wall. The only thing that seems to make a difference is if you're watching it. Why would God care? And if it's not supernatural, but something actually physically happening with the, why would the electrons care? They're doing something that's impossible. Uh, it's more than food for thought. If you can figure this one out, hey, you got a Nobel Prize coming your way. But it is proof. Until or or the best working theory is this is time travel. If you want to take this a bit further, uh, you can, and other if you want to read about it a bit further, other people have taken this. Um, exactly where the next logical step would be well if you can travel in time then you can teleport and that has been and that has been um not only demonstrated in a laboratory but actually through miles and miles of open air literally on the planet not in a lab but just we got a transponder over here and we got a receiver over here and we got 10 out 10, 10 miles of open air in between and they have been able to do something very similar. This is called um, this is called quantum teleportation. Now, they have not been successful in teleporting a baseball from point A to point B, but they can do it with quarks. Um, you have to start somewhere. Anyway, I think this is one of the most fascinating, I think this is the most fascinating mystery um, that science has failed to come up with an answer with. Why do electrons care when we watch them? And why do they care so much that they're actually willing to to go back in time? If you've got a better uh, explanation, uh, let me know. Just some f food for thought. It might just be electrons, but this shit's real. I'm over here now. Yes, I'm going down. Yeah. I'm going down, 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 down. Yes, I got my big feet in the window. Got my head on the ground. All right. So, 
You know, there was no matter what happened with this first story, there was no good news possible. But somehow it got worse. Um, there, there were, if you remember a few months back, there was a, a case reported in upstate New York of a toddler drinking a bottle of e-liquid. That toddler died. There were a lot of questions after that. I even called the police and I talked to the chief of police and asked a bunch of questions. And he said, yeah, well, we're not saying anything now, but there'll be an official report put out soon. Well, that was put out just a couple of days ago. And uh, according to them, case closed. Uh, yet it brings up almost as many questions as we had in the beginning. I mean, of course, the first question that everybody had was, well, w what kind of e-liquid? We all know that even if a toddler drinks a bottle of, you know, three or six or maybe even 12 milligram liquid, um, he might get sick, but the chance of death is quite small. So everybody suspected at first that this was going to be some sort of DIY um, high concentrate base. It appears that that's the case, but then again, and here's the article, sorry, if you haven't read it yet. Assuming the chat ever posts my message, there we go. Um, so we were assuming that, and it seemed to be somewhat confirmed by the report, but not fully. It was cited that a company called Heartland Vapes sold this. Now, what was described in the news story was that the bottle was some glass bottle. Uh, they didn't find any top on it, of course, but, but, but back when the when the story was first uh, discussed, that apparently there was some sort of cork that went into that top. In this news story, there's no mention of such cork. Uh, Heartland Vapes certainly does not sell their 100 milligram per milliliter liquid with a cork. In fact, they don't sell it in a glass bottle at all. If you go to their website, first of all, they offer three sizes for 100 milligram, 55 uh, gallon barrel, uh, one liter, and one gallon. So I suppose a liter would be the smallest. This bottle that was described was certainly not a one liter bottle. A little... So that's suspect. Um, it appears as to what happened was that this, whoever, I, I believe it was the aunt who this belonged to, uh, took it from the, I guess, small, I don't think she had the 55-gallon drum, so she was probably, for some reason, pouring it from the one-liter thing into the smaller glass bottle and left it uncapped, or perhaps this mysterious cork has disappeared. I don't know where that went, but the report specifically said that the cap was never found. You, you can't buy it from Heartland in that kind of a bottle, and you certainly can't buy it without a childproof cap. Now, it's sad, and, you know, it takes a lot to be mad at a parent who fucked up and lost a child. But if you read to the end of that story, and if you're on a mobile device, you might have to click a stupid thing to reveal the rest of it. But where the story ends up is that they plan to sue Heartland Vapes. So, like I said, it's hard to be mad at a grieving family who lost a child. But boy, do these people make it easy. What the fuck is, where is any sense of personal responsibility? You're taking this horrible tra tragedy of a child's death 
and you're looking for a paycheck. You know, one of the best comments that I saw on the story was from my friend Chris Hughes. He said, the reality is, if I drank a bottle of whiskey, jumped in my car, and got in an accident that killed a small child, I'd be eviscerated on the town square. Um, he didn't mention arrested and convicted, but certainly those two things would happen as well. But the reality is that this situation with the e-liquid is actually much worse. A tragic outcome was far more predictable in this case. I mean, forget about a 100 milligram liquid. Shit, you got kids or pets. Your liquid should be, well, maybe not so much with pets, but certainly with kids, should be under lock and key. You know, get a lockbox for Christ's sake. Fucking $10 to protect your kids. Now that's just regular liquid. As far as 100 milligram, I mean, yeah, that shit's real dangerous. Yes, you can you can definitely hurt yourself. You shouldn't. It shouldn't be handled without gloves. It should be in. You should you should be taking a hundred precautions that you don't even need to take with a regular six milligram bottle. But these people did none of those things. It doesn't matter that they didn't know that the kid was. You know, I think the aunt left it on the coffee table, which DIYing on the coffee table really. I mean, shit. I know you guys don't have a lab, but at least I don't know. Go to your kitchen and wipe down the counter. I mean, you know, do, do something. At least put it up hot. I mean, something. Take take one precaution. Take one safety precaution, please. Because they took none. They just left it on the on the coffee table. And the kid picked it up and drank it. And died. Their reaction, now the, the reaction of the police department, they didn't charge the, the parents you can have whatever opinion on that. I don't know. I think Chris's, I think Chris's example is quite a good one. No, they're going to sue. You know, when the bank gets robbed, you know, does, does Chase sue Ford and Smith and Wesson? No. You go after the person responsible for the behavior. On something even a little bit more um, more relevant, I suppose. What if, I mean, would they leave a bottle of Clorox on a coffee table? Ah, you're doing some cleaning, or, or on the floor for that matter. You're cleaning the, 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 the kitchen floor, let's say. You got a bottle of Clorox there. Would you just leave that there without a cap on? If a child lives in that house, of course you wouldn't. Would you sue Clorox? Good luck with that. You know, the funny thing is, though, well, I don't think they'd have a chance in hell at getting a dollar out of Clorox. There's got to be some legal precedent for that, right? People must have tried that in the past. There is no such legal precedent for e-liquid. It won't, it won't go, I doubt it'll go all the way to a jury trial because ultimately what you're talking about is insurance companies and insurance companies don't want to do that. They want to settle. And you know what? That's the really sad part. Well, not the saddest part. The saddest part is that the kid's dead. But the other sad part is that, you know, they're going to get paid. It's disgusting. And this company that's not doing anything wrong, Heartland Vapes, is their insurance that's going to go up because of it? 
And we've already seen legislation being proposed, and this gets thrown around all the time at these legislative hearings. This, you know, a, a drop of it can kill a child. And they cite this news report. You put that on a legislator's desk, they're like, oh, what are you fucking kidding me? Was there ever a better time for them to cover their ass and play it safe and take the most extreme action against the product? Dead baby? Dead babies sell newspapers. And dead babies get laws written. Everybody loses in this except, well, monetarily speaking, the family. Disgusting. Um, let's do something happy. Um, well, it's not exactly happy, but it's good. Something really good. The best vaping advocacy video I've ever seen. This is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'll, I'll give you the link in, in YouTube, but um, it it works fine as audio too. So I'll just I'll just play it for you. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who made this, but whoever did, they did a fantastic job. I mean. The production, the, the quality, it's, and above all, the message. What this video does is it breaks down what's really going on with this war against vaping better than anyone has done in such a short time period on YouTube. Well, why, why should I explain it? I'll let them. Most of you have probably seen or heard about the stillblowingsmoke.org campaign that's been launched in California. And you may be asking yourself, why is the California Department of Public Health so against vaping when year after year, more smokers are turning to e-cigs as a less harmful alternative to tobacco cigarettes? Isn't their number one priority preserving public health? Isn't that their job? Problem number one, the more money big tobacco makes, the more money California gets. In 1998, a deal was struck between the biggest big tobacco companies and 46 US states called the Master Settlement Agreement, or MSA. This agreement said that these big tobacco companies would make yearly payments to the states in exchange for the states dropping lawsuits against them regarding smoking-related deaths and expenses. The amount of money big tobacco pays the states each year is directly dependent on how much they sell. Problem number two, the states spent that money before they got it. Most of the states wanted all that money up front instead of waiting for payments from big tobacco each year. So they sold bonds to Wall Street based on the amount they calculated Big Tobacco would be paying them. But then something started happening. Americans started smoking less. Since 2000, on average, tobacco cigarette sales have dropped 3.4% per year. That sounds amazing, but not for the states like California. Remember those bonds they sold? They were counting on money from Big Tobacco, and since it's not coming, they can't pay back the bonds they sold, and either have to take money from other places or risk defaulting. New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia have already announced they have to take money from their reserves due to insufficient funds from the tobacco money. And with the growing popularity of e-cigarettes, the smoking rate is declining even faster. California and New York are being affected the most because they have the highest populations and are owed the most money by big tobacco under this agreement. In 2013, cigarette shipments saw their biggest decline since 2009, and many financial analysts say the cause of that severe decline is e-cigarettes. In 2012, Americans bought over 14 billion packs of tobacco cigarettes and 200,000 packs of e-cigarettes. The following year, sales of tobacco cigarettes decreased by 1 billion and sales of e-cigarettes doubled. 
Wells Fargo estimates tobacco cigarette sales will decline by 68% over the next 10 years, and e-cigarette sales will increase more than 13 times. So naturally, California is panicking. The way they see it, e-cigarettes are taking money away from them, regardless of the fact that people are getting off tobacco cigarettes. So it's now California's mission to either A, ban e-cigarettes completely and get people back on tobacco cigarettes so the money starts rolling in again, or B, classify e-cigarettes as a tobacco product so they can tax them like they do tobacco cigarettes, higher than normal sales tax, and roll them into the MSA agreement so they too have to pay the states. One of their key arguments is that if e-cigarettes fall under the MSA and also have to make payments to the states, that money gives these states a powerful tool to stop e-cigarette makers from targeting youth. No wonder one of stillblowingsmoke.org's biggest and most unfounded talking points is that e-cigarettes are marketed to children. And never mind that only 14.6% of the funds the states receive from big tobacco actually go towards costs associated with smoking or smoking prevention. So the truth? The state of California needs tobacco sales to stay high. Otherwise, they default on their bonds. E-cigarettes are getting in the way of that. It looks like the health of the public isn't the top priority for the Department of Public Health. Their top priority? Their wallet. I've never heard it explained more succinctly and professionally and in such an intelligible fashion. Let me drop the link for their uh, channel here in the chat, and of course I'll um, include it in the replay notes. Please do give them a follow on YouTube or subscribe on YouTube. If this first video is any indication, I think they have great things to come. It really is as simple as that. It's a cash grab. And by the way, the one, the one statistic um, that I assume is correct, that she, she said something like 14% of this master settlement agreement money is actually used for tobacco prevention type programs. That might be true. In many states, that number is zero and has always been zero. The money is used for anything but education about smoking. It is a cash grab, plain and simple. Those bonds they defaulted on, they're in big trouble. They got to pay. And they need the money from somewhere. They see vaping not as a danger, but as a cash cow. And they will do everything possible. Again, this was done in most states. Most states got the MSA. And many made the very foolish decision to cash out quick with these bonds that they got from big wall street banks they're fucked and the more vaping gets popular the more money they will owe it's a horrible situation for the taxpayer and a horrible situation for vaping i think the maybe the true power of that video um i think it's going to educate a lot of vapors about what's really going on and that's a good thing but I think it's actually digestible enough that it can be sent to people who aren't vapors or who don't understand this kind of thing. I think it breaks it down pretty well. So the next time somebody asks, well, I heard they were bad. Here's a reason or here's a good short video that you can actually give them and say, this is why they're doing it. And I think it can change hearts and minds. Speaking of great tape, because we need to laugh at some point this evening. Dennis Quaid lost his shit on a movie set, or maybe it was a TV set, and it's gold. 
Enjoy. What the fuck? Keep going. I am acting here, and this dickhead wanders onto my set. I can't even get a line out until Dopey the Dick starts whispering in your ear and you're not even watching anymore. Dennis. Dennis. Don't, don't fucking Dennis me! I am doing my job here. I am a pro. This is the most unprofessional set I have ever been on. This is horse shit. I've got these fucking zombies over here that I have to look at. I have a bunch of pussies staring at me and this fucking baby. This is garbage. Blow me. That last blow me door slam. I'm um, I'm probably gonna take some time on uh, over the weekend to make you know how your, your your phone has like all those sounds for notifications. That's what I want every notification on my phone to be. Blow me. That's that's what I want <laughs> for when I go to the library. Okay, what next? Okay, this is this is something. Um, this topic is uh, it's something a lot of people don't like, but this is something everybody really needs to know this because this is just the, uh, everybody should be outraged by this. And I'm not talking about some paleoconservative blog or, 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 what, or whatever, some conspiracy theory about 9-11 because... I'm talking about this is something that's hitting the mainstream media now. Um, the article I'm going to link to is the actually the New York Post hardly. If you ask, you know, New York, the New York Post often, is it a rag? Yeah, often it is. Um, sometimes they have some good reporting. This is an example of it. But, you know, if you were to ask people, you know, is it's something that generally, at least politically speaking, this is something that supports the old Republican Guard. And this story is not that it's the furthest thing from it and this starts with a story that i actually talked about i think it was a couple years ago about a family um of saudi arabian descent living they were living in uh florida for for several years nice home nice community they were you know, they were part, they were Americanized for all intents and purposes, so it seemed. Um, you know, kids went to school with everyone else and played with everyone else. They were involved in the community. They had friends. It was, you know, you know they came to America and, and started a life and they, they seemed to be, seemed to be good people. Um, the home uh, belonged to a man who was a, a Saudi, uh, a Saudi advisor to the nephew of the of the then king of Saudi Arabia. Um, at the time, it was occupied by his daughter and son-in-law. And what happened was, just before 9-11, literally days before 9-11, they vanished. Well, they didn't vanish. They left without a trace. Now, keep in mind, they had just bought a brand new car days before they left. When they left, they didn't take anything with them. Now, granted, these were wealthy people who could well afford to do it, but well, even wealthy people, they don't do that. They don't leave their closets full of clothes, their refrigerator fully stocked, 
a, you know, all their cars unsold, including the one they just bought a few days before? No. They got a phone call, and then they were out of there in a hurry. Obviously a red flag. A few days later, 9-11 happened. And their neighbors were like, hey, uh, these people, they were Saudi Arabian. They, they, they just like vanished in the middle of the night. Nobody's heard from them since. Maybe you guys should take a look at this. And the FBI, and the FBI certainly did. They opened up an investigation to these people. And what they found, some very disturbing things. Um, they found, for example, evidence, you know, multiple pieces of evidence that if the name Mohammed Atta rings a bell, he was one of the guys on the plane who crashed it into the World Trade Center, right? He was like one of the main dudes out of all those hijackers. He visited them. This was a gated community. So you had to sign in at the desk and there's security cameras everywhere. Not only did he sign in at the desk, he drove in with the car that the FBI knew he was using to go around and get all this training in America on how to fly a plane while skipping the classes on how to land a plane. Anyway, they knew it was his car. He went in there. He visited them. Not saying they knew what he was up to, but he was there. That's quite another red flag. You got the guy who crashed the plane visiting these people. And then they disappear in the head of in the in the dark of night just before 9/11. We're talking about some serious, major red flags, and so thought one of the one of the FBI investigators in Florida. Um, there were several, and you can read them in the article, which I'll link to in a moment. There were there were they they tracked bank records, all sorts of stuff. They found tons of stuff that suggested that these people, their ties, their family. They would have had to know about this in advance. Why else would you would you just be able to leave in the middle of the, someone tipped them off? And that someone was not just somebody in Saudi Arabia, but rather top ranking government officials. Saudi government officials. Furthermore, stand by. Okay, so the so the off so the this FBI agent in two thousand and two, um, he wrote this memo finding all these connections between the family and the terrorists and actually people high-ranking in the Saudi government, not just over in Saudi Arabia, but contact between them and the actual um, Saudi embassy here in America. So either way, it kind of doesn't matter. It makes it the difference between what was the rhetoric at the time. It was Osama bin Laden, right? And it very well may have been partially or, or wholly, whatever. Certainly, everyone thinks the guy was involved, and I'm not here to argue against that. But that's an example of some lunatic hiding out in caves in Afghanistan and Pakistan who we have to go find and kill, which which eventually happened, right? Okay. It's a whole other thing when you're finding all this evidence that points to high-ranking officials in the Saudi government. That makes it the difference between crazy guy living in squalor, who happens to have a lot of money, to an actual act of war. How, I, how, what else could you consider it? Here's a government at the highest levels planning this attack and executing it. And how is that not 
an act of war. However, when FBI uh, Washington, I suppose, looked into this and looked into the memos written by this officer, this field officer in California, they discounted all of it. They said, we don't know why he wrote those things. It's not clear. We find none of them to be true. Uh, case closed. None of this really matters. None of this is true. None of there, there's, despite all the evidence, you would think that if you're going to be investigating these, these facts, I mean, nobody disputes this family just left their life in the middle of the night. Nobody disputes the fact that this actual hijacker signed in and drove in on camera to visit them and all this and, and, and bank records and all this other stuff. You would think at the very least, when you're going to discredit this memo written by this agent, this FBI agent in Florida, you, you would talk to him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you interview him? They never did. They simply, they simply wrote up a new report that said none of it was relevant. At the time, um, Bob Graham was a Democratic senator at the time. He, he is no longer. Um, he's speaking out about this. Um, he is he is pointing the, and the implication or, or the suggestion or the or the conclusion that one can can draw from this is that the FBI for some reason doesn't want to look into this at all. Now there are documents. There are twenty eight pages that primarily relate to who financed 9-11. Now, those 28 pages have been, when 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 the 9-11 Commission went, went out, and those pages are part of the commission. However, they're redacted, 100%, every word. So none of what was, was finally ava made available to, to members of Congress, all of that was blacked out. However, there are some people who have seen it, who do have the proper uh, how no member of Congress has the uh, authority to view these things begs the question, who does? I'm sure that's classified as well. But some of those people who did read those papers, well, they must be somewhat patriotic, somewhat upset, maybe more likely completely enraged that those two, those 28 pages, they do tell exactly who was behind this, at least from a financial perspective. And they're pushing now to get those uh, those pages unredacted. Good luck with that. But some of these, it hasn't happened yet. So these people, they're starting to talk to reporters. And that's how this ended up in the New York Post, as well as a hundred other places at this point. Um. I'll leave you with a quote from uh, from former uh, Senator Graham. Uh, this is a pervasive pattern of covering up the role of Saudi Arabia in 9-11 by all of the agencies of the federal government which have access to information that might illuminate Saudi Arabia's role in 9-11. Again, guys, we're not talking about some crazy paleoconservative blog. We're talking about a former senator. We're talking about the New York Post. We're talking about things that actually happen that are facts that cannot be denied by any thinking person. Instead, um, we didn't do that. 
we didn't go to war with Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, even though we had ample evidence that we should have, that they were the ones responsible. We went to war with Iraq. Yeah, I understand Afghanistan. You got to find the guy. You got to go over the, the, the whole thing. Went to war with Iraq. Someone where we had no evidence at all. Here we have ample evidence that the government of Saudi Arabia is responsible for this. But Bush wags the dog and goes to war in Iraq. Made people feel a lot better at the time. People believed him. And years later, we found out it wasn't true. I'm telling you, I don't know if it's going to be in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years. These facts will come out eventually. Those 28 pages, somebody is going to have balls. I don't know. I guess you'd have to have balls the size of Edward Snowden to get a hold of those papers and somehow get them out. And history will not judge us favorably, and rightly so. Not us as Americans, but the government at the time. What they did, what they knew. And those history books, when they are written, that will be a dark, dark day for our country. Maybe it's not, I don't know, maybe it's too, doesn't seem to be that far away. So, um, I cannot keep up with the number of people who are getting shot in the back by the police while running away or already pinned to the ground. It keeps happening again and again and again. It's getting, it's getting so bad that, I mean, when I say that the officer in South Carolina murdered the guy who was running away, um, that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of the district attorney because he was charged with murder. I can't see how he wouldn't be convicted. Uh, someone running away from you does not, does not pose an exigent threat in any way, shape, or form. No. You do not respond by shooting him eight times in the back and killing him. But the sad part about that story is that he should have been off the force a long time ago because there is already video evidence of this guy going crazy on another person. Excessive force, he's lying on the ground and deploying a taser into him. At least this time it was a taser. I guess he tried that with the guy in South Carolina, but wasn't wasn't good enough. And you know what? If there was no video of this, so so in that first incident, like I say, it's not his first rodeo. In that first incident, he should have been suspended. He should have he should have been fired after that first one. And if the cops did their jobs and, and said, hey, this guy is no good. This guy's bad news. He shouldn't be a cop. He's dangerous to us. Forget about the citizens. He's dangerous to us as police. Then this guy in South Carolina would have never died. Now, granted, listen, you should never run from the police. And yes, you should always pay for your child support. But that's certainly does not warrant the death penalty. And that's what this guy got. So you have this problem, of course, with police who are who just aren't fit to be police officers, but they get to stay on the force for whatever reasons, aggressive police unions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then you got this phenomenon of, you, you got cops with badges, guns, and squad cars who 
aren't cops at all. They just handed over some money. The guy who was killed in, I'm so sorry, I forget the uh, the town. Oh, no, it was uh, Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So this guy, he was, he was selling illegal guns, right? So he runs when they try to arrest him. Again, never run from the police, but hey, he did. So they, they catch him. They pin him to the ground. So there was no need for anything at that point. They got him down. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of officers. They're, they're holding him down. They're in the process of cuffing him. Then this other guy, 73-year-old deputy. Now, that as soon as I read that, I said, why would there ever be a 73-year-old deputy? You're on the, that, that suggests you've been on the force for 30, 40 years without a promotion. Well, it's the reason why he was a 73-year-old deputy is because he was the type of cop where they just give money and make donations, and then they get a badge and a gun. This is a, a process that's rampant. Very helpful to the coffers for the police. They get these people, they give them money, and all they need to give them is something, you know, a fraction of the amount of money that they have given to them in the form of a badge and a gun. Big, big money maker. Of course, these cops don't get a fraction of the training that a real cop gets. So it's no surprise that neither that this man saw fit, that once this man was sub subdued and lying on the ground to deploy his taser, but oops, because he has so little training, he didn't grab his taser. He grabbed his gun. One would think that this should be committed to muscle memory. But of course, that requires real training. Instead, he pulled his gun and shot him. He could have just as easily shot a cop. Um, while it's clear that it was an accident, uh, he was still charged with manslaughter. I believe second degree involuntary manslaughter or something like that. Believe me, he'll never he'll never see a day behind behind bars. So again, all all these things, we're only even talking about them because there is video evidence. That's the thing. That case in South Carolina, that was kind of like an open and shut thing, at least in the press, because the police already made their statement. You know, the guy was struggling with them. The guy had a taser. He was going to. He was going to harm the officer. The officer's life was in immediate danger, so he had to deploy his weapon, had to, had to shoot him. As a matter of fact, the guy's brother, the guy who was shot, his brother went to the scene of the crime, that crime being murder. He went to the scene of the crime, and he started taking pictures of his brother's dead body. The cops swarmed him and stole his camera. A few days later, whoops, looks like somebody was taking a video with their iPhone of the whole thing that they didn't know about. The police promptly apologized to his brother and returned his camera. Again, this would have been, it would have never, you would have never heard about this if there wasn't video evidence from a, from a civilian. How many times is this happening when there is nobody standing by with a camera. This keeps happening week after week after week. And sometimes we get the police dash camera. Sometimes we get the body camera. Sometimes we don't because they shut the shit off or they mysteriously lose it. But how many times do we not hear or see 
what's happening. How many times are these are people dying that we just don't know about where you just believe the narrative of the police who said, my life was in danger. That's what they said here, that nothing would have happened. Murder for the cop? Are you kidding? Nothing. Nothing would have happened. Shit. They had him on video before running like running wild like a, like a fucking maniac and nothing happened to him. If not for that video, I mean, there's nothing. Just a dead guy. Frank Serpico wrote an excellent article. If you guys are not familiar with Serpico, um, and what former NYPD, uh, NY, NYPD detective in the seventies who uncovered massive corruption and almost died because of it when he was in the NYPD, literally took a bullet in the face. And a lot of people wanted to kill him. Um, so he's, he's probably the most famous whistleblower. The best way to learn about him is the excellent movie um, starring Al Pacino. It might be Al Pacino's best acting, in my opinion, next to Godfather. I don't know. Serpico is probably just as good, just in terms of his acting, not necessarily as a movie, but a fantastic movie. Um, uh, Frank, uh, Frank Serpico raises a point. It's like, after all of these cases keep coming out, people keep dying, people keep getting shot, people who are shown to be innocent, after the video surfaces, it's going to get to the point, I think he raises the next point, it's going to get to the point where people are going to start to ask or start to just question when the cops are actually telling the truth. Again, I think this is a minority of the cops who are psychopaths, like this guy in South Carolina who shot a man eight times in the back as he was running away from him. Yes, I think they're a minority of the cops, but this is going to start to pose a problem for the rest of the cops who are doing their job, who one time they really did have reason to shoot someone because their life really was in danger from a dangerous, violent, armed criminal. Who's going to believe them? This keeps happening every week. And these are just the small percentage that happen to be caught on video. Ten police officers in California were suspended. Why they haven't been fired, I don't know. But this makes Rodney King look like romper room. Some guy, uh, cops were looking for some guy. Okay, so he's a bad guy. Let's just say he's a bad guy, right? Probably was. So he runs away and then goes in his car and he didn't think that was going to work out. So he stole a horse. Don't ask. Anyway, the guy steals a horse and rides into the into the desert or into the he's trying to ride away into the mountains. So the, finally, the, the horse bucks and, and uh, throws him off. And immediately, this guy lies on the ground, prone, completely surrenders. And he is swarmed by cops who commenced to beat the ever-loving piss and shit out of him. A violent beatdown from someone who has clearly surrendered. Again, was he a bad guy? Yeah, probably. Should you run from the police? Never, ever, ever. But this is not a part of the criminal justice system. A mass beatdown by the police is not something that is part of the system. There is a part of the system that addresses penalties and punishment the police are not part of that 
They are part of enforcing the law, protecting and serving the people, not beating the shit out of someone because they're pissed off that he ran. The punishment is for a judge and a jail. Anyway, 10 of them, they're, they're, off, the, they're off the clock now. Uh, I don't know if they're getting paid or not. They probably are. Give it a few months, guys. Don't worry. You'll be back behind a desk, and then you'll be back in your cars, and you'll have your gun and your badge, and nothing bad's going to happen. Don't worry. Just ride it out. We'll all forget about it soon enough. An NYPD de uh, detective was suspended after he was caught on camera. God bless these cameras, right? After he was caught on camera stealing money from a bodega. Now, what was why were why were the cops raiding this bodega? Well, they the bodega was selling illegal cigarettes um, in New York State. Forget about New York City. In the state of New York, fifty-one percent of the cigarettes sold are illegal. That is, they come in from out of state, out of not many out of country, mostly out of state, Indian reservations, that kind of thing, right? Most of the cigarettes sold in New York State are illegal. It must be worse in New York City because the tax is significantly higher. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying it's quite common. Anyway, doesn't matter. The cops come. There is a procedure. You write them the ticket. And, you know, you pay the ticket. It it's a pretty it's pretty standard. So what did this cop do? He they're searching around for illegal cigarettes or whatever else, and he finds the rent money, finds a big wad, three hundred dollars. Uh, I'm sorry, three thousand dollars that this guy uses to pay his rent. He stole it. Now the store owner's first reaction was one of my employees must have found it and stole it. Until he looked at the security tapes, where the cop is clearly fine, clearly uh, shown finding the stash, taking it and putting it into his pocket. That cop has been suspended. His supervising sergeant has been stripped of badge and gun and put on desk duty. But don't worry, guys. Give it a few months. He'll be back on the street. Don't worry about it. It's not just, uh, not just cops that are fucking out of their mind. Here's one about a school nurse. Um, young lady, uh, a student, I think she was 11, could be wrong, uh, went to the nurse for medical attention. While she was in the nurse, nurse's office waiting to be seen, it was time for the Pledge of Allegiance. She opted to not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, nor recite it. Now, there is no public school that requires this. There, there, there is there is no law that requires that you stand for the pledge, and there are many reasons why you might not want to. Religious, ethical, anti-nationalistic, whatever. It's your right. Just that it is, as it is your right to free speech, it is your right to not speak and not, re not recite the, the, the pledge. This has been through the courts many times. There's no question about it. But it wasn't just about that. It was about what the nurse did next, said, well, if you're not standing for the flag, um, standing for the pledge, I'm not even going to treat you. I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to give you medical attention because I don't like that. It didn't even stop there. 
when the girl went to a guidance counselor and asked to contact her parent, the nurse was furious and demanded that no parent be able to see the child before she talked to them again. And the guidance counselor said, well, if you do want to not recite the pledge, you got to go stand in the hallway. All not true. All, I mean, and who would care? Really? Who would care? So you like the Pledge of Allegiance. You like to say it. Good. Good for you. Stand up. Say it. Put your hand over your heart. Have fun. Why would you care if someone else doesn't? It's none of your fucking business. Maybe engage them in a discussion. Find out why they feel this way. That's fine. But to deny a child medical attention? You know, this reminds me of a, of a, a guy I knew very good, this guy Brent. I haven't talked to him in a while, but at the time, um, he lived in Brooklyn. I used to see him at card games a lot. He made the news, and it was it was crazy. He was at a Yankee game. Now, this was a long time ago. This was, um, this was I think this was like 2003, 2002, 2003, something like that. So the country was still all whipped up over 9-11. Now, he was at a Yankee game, right? So this isn't even about the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. Now, during the seventh inning stretch, I'm not sure if every ballpark does this. Maybe, I don't know. I would think they do. Anyway, at, at Yankee Stadium, certainly, during the seventh inning stretch, they play God Bless America, and everybody stands and takes off their hat um, if they want to. But um, he had to go to the bathroom. Seventh inning stretch is the best time to go to the bathroom because, you know, you got a lot more time. Play the extra commercials, the whole thing. So when the seventh inning stretch started, before God Bless America even started playing, he got up to go to the bathroom. Now, as he was walking to the bathroom, he was stopped by the cops who were at Yankee Stadium. Um, there were a lot, there were cops, oh my God, there were cops everywhere in New York right after 9-11 and, and probably for, for good reason, but they were everywhere. So he saw a lot more of them at Yankee Stadium. And the cops said, stop, God Bless America is playing. And Brent said, I know, but I really have to go to the bathroom. And they said, you're, they said, you know, stop and take off your hat. And he said, I'm sorry, I, I got to go to the bathroom. So he walked to go to the bathroom. They cuffed him. They arrested him. They put him in jail. Now we're not even talking about the Pledge of Allegiance. This is God bless America. Has no official status of any kind. It's the fucking seventh inning stretch. Now, here's the thing. As far as. God Bless America is concerned, even though I'm an atheist, I like that song. When I go to a ball game, I will stand for that song and I will take off my hat. I like it. I enjoy it. I think it's a good song. I like the message. Will I stand for the pledge? Fuck no. Fuck no. Because the words of the pledge, to me, are against the way I feel about the country. I hang the American flag in my home. It is the first thing I see when I wake up in the morning. It's right there in my bedroom. I love the flag. I love this country. I don't love anything about the message behind the pledge, and I will not say it, ever. Even when I was a kid, even when I was a kid, I knew enough to uh, just stand silently. I wouldn't say it. I wasn't quite brave enough to just sit down in my seat and do that it was too hard, I guess. But I knew it was wrong. And I would just stand there, not say anything. And now I won't even stand. Anyway.
uh, more stupidity in schools. This is just, this is, I don't know what's more crazy. The, the nurse who wouldn't give medical attention to a kid because they didn't want to say the, the Pledge of Allegiance or a kid straight A's, honor roll, I mean, taking advanced placement classes, being thrown in jail for missing too many classes. This is, um, it, it's, it's, I don't know, for me, it's harder to believe the story, but it's 100% true. So there's this, uh, there's this girl, again, we're talking uh, honor student. What, what was she taking here? Do I even know? She was taking, uh, oh, who cares? Doesn't matter. Bunch of, I mean, she was top 10 in our class, you know? And not only that, this student was working two jobs because her family, her, her mother and father split up. Her mother just left. Her dad, I don't know. It's even hard to tell what the hell's going on with this guy in the, in the story. It seems like he's never around. I don't know. It's, it seems weird. She's working a full-time job during the week at a dry cleaner and a part-time job for like wedding catering on the weekends in addition to all these advanced placement classes. So she's earning money to support her younger brother, to support her older brother who's in school, uh, to support herself and acing everything. And the judge decides, because she's missed just, I don't know how many, too many classes, but clearly not any, not much worse for it. I mean, she's acing everything. I mean, do they even look at this? Do they even look at the situation that she has at in her home life? No. Jail. Jail. Child. Jail. Who is as much as a model student, a model citizen, as you're going to find, goes to jail. Who is, th there's nobody thinking. Do you know how many steps along the way have to happen for that child to actually land in that jail cell? It's not like it just goes in front of this judge and that's it. No, it has to go through the teachers who then have to call the police, who then have to arrest her, who then has to go to a court. And then she has a lawyer who are, there's, there's 20, there's 20 people who are involved in this. And somehow it ends up with a child in jail. People, they're just not thinking. Here's a, a fairly bizarre one. I don't even know what to think of this. This is kind of fucked up. So this is even, it's, I didn't even know this happened. Um, but apparently, um, when a woman is pregnant, apparently I always thought a miscarriage, I don't even want to get into the de details. I thought of a miscarriage would happen in a certain way that is, let's not get into the details. It's, it's a horrible thing, but apparently, um, a woman can miscarry and really nothing no, they they don't notice it so this woman when she went to her doctor she was having the tests and the scans or whatever they do and the doctor had to inform her listen i'm sorry but you have miscarried uh the um the fetus is still inside you it hasn't come out yet there's there's things that we can do um one of the things is that we can have surgery and remove it another thing is that you can pass it naturally 
and there are drugs that assist with that. I didn't even know about that. That just seems, it, it's terrible. The, the fact of life, I guess, I don't know. Um, so she says, okay, I would like to do it the natural way, as natural as possible. So the doctor prescribes her this drug that will um, induce the fetus from being passed more naturally than having to have an invasive surgery. So she goes to the pharmacy to get her prescription filled, and they refuse to fill it. Now, she had already been to that pharmacy for some other stuff, like a few days ago. So she was just like, all right, that's kind of strange. So she went to another pharmacy, and they filled it for her. But she still had to go back to that first pharmacy because that was her go-to place, and she had some other things to pick up. So she comes in and says, you know, here's my, and they say, okay, here, your prescription's filled for this other stuff. They said, do you have any questions about your medication? She says, no, I, I don't have any questions about this, but um, I called in, you know, from the same doctor to have this other prescription filled, and you guys refused to fill it. Might I ask why? And the pharmacist said, oh, yes, I remember. She was the one. She happened to get the one. She said, there's no reason you would ever need that. And according to the woman, the woman was very spiteful and angry about her answer, in, in delivering her answer. Well, it turns out that drug that she was prescribed, as you know, that you might expect, that would assist in the passing of the miscarriage, is also something that you can take as a drug to induce an abortion. And by that I mean when, you know, there was no miscarriage. So... The woman didn't, the pharmacist didn't even think to pick up the phone. Now, pharmacists do have discretion, as they should, in filling these prescriptions. Maybe they suspect that somebody who's getting a big bottle of Oxycontin or whatever, and you know, they, they see some warning signs. Yes, they have every right to check to see if the prescription is legitimate. Perhaps call the doctor and say, hey, there might be some things going on here that you should know about. Is this all on the level? You know, can we talk about this? But that never happened. Because if that did happen, the pharmacist would have called the doctor and he would have said, oh, yes, she had a miscarriage and needs these pills to help pass it. Nope. Just told her to get lost. People, they just don't think. They don't think. Just, just pick up the phone. And actually, take a step back from that. How is it any of your fucking business? I mean, I, I understand that companies should be able, and I've argued for this in the past, companies should be able to serve who they want to serve. But we're talking about somebody who was prescribed something by a doctor for a specific need because of your anti-abortion stance. That, that, hmm. I'd have to think about that one. I don't know. That's getting pretty close there. Uh, there is an excellent article in Reason that, oh, and here's the uh, the pharmacist who refused to fill those prescriptions. Um, excellent article in Reason. Um, this is regarding, uh, not, not regarding vaping really, but regarding, you know, what we had talked about earlier, cigarettes being... Um, so lucrative in New York to uh, sell illegally, uh, it begs the question, you know, when are people just going to start growing this themselves? Well, you know somebody who grows tobacco themselves here 
or right here in New York City, Audrey Silk. Audrey Silk, uh, president and founder of NYC Clash, who I am suing the state of New York, uh, the city of New York with over the vaping ban, which I'll, I'll talk about in just a moment. Well, I'll talk about it just right now. We're expecting any day now. We're expecting any day for a hearing. Now, uh, the government doesn't always come out on time, but they did tell us we should accept we should expect a ruling in the month of April. So we're hoping, if they're true to their word, that it'll be sometime in the next two weeks. Uh, you know what? Sometimes I get emails fairly late at night from my lawyers. That, no, nothing tonight. Okay, so sometimes, uh, so sometime in the next two weeks, we should hear back. So that's great. But anyway, this article, this is really cool. This is, um, it has a great video in it. Uh, of Audrey's home little, um, you know, she, she's a smoking rights activist. She's also a vaping rights activist. But she had, a, you know, she did something. She's a smoker. She had enough of these crazy taxes on cigarettes. And she said, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. Just as a screw you to the city. You're not getting my tax money for this. And it goes through her whole philosophy. It's, it's like a mini, it's short, but it's like a mini documentary on Audrey Silk. And I just love it. Uh, and I love Audrey. So here, no one deserves a click more than reason. Have at it. You can learn a little bit more about Audrey. It's great. Oh. Mm, must have put this out of order. Here's another cop that got charged. No reason to go through this, but hey, another cop. Only because he was caught on video from another civilian just slapping around a homeless guy for no reason at all. Well, not going to go to jail. Don't worry. Just ride it out. You'll get your badge back. Everything's going to be all right. So anyway, with all this, with all this crazy, so these stories that are actually occupying mainstream media, they're on the news every night, people dying because of cops. I wonder, it, it, it's so, it's, it's so, it's every week now. It's, it's more than ever that I remember, you know, just, just this crazy shit. I really wonder if it's actually getting to the point of saturation, right? I mean, Serpico asked the question, you know, when are when are we going to believe the cops when they are telling the truth because they're shown to lie so often when they do these horrible things? I start to wonder, when is the average American, now, they're aware of it now, if they were denying that this thing, that this kind of stuff ever happens unjustly, they know it doesn't. They know, I'm sorry, they know that it does now at this point. But it's happening so much. I really wonder if they're just going to get fatigued. If it's just going to be, if it's happening so often that they're going to see the story and say, didn't this, was, is this the same one as last week? Or is this a new one? Oh, I don't know. Move along. 